Welcome to the Misplaced Sox podcast. In this series, Nate and Matt, two White Sox-loving brothers, give their opinions, thoughts, and break down the week that was and the week that will be in White Sox baseball. Here are your hosts, Nate and Matt. Welcome to episode 9 of Misplaced Socks. A couple of guys talking about our favorite sport and our favorite team. I'm Nate, he's Matt. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Real Coach Rusty, and he's Matthew Ice03. This week in White Sox baseball, the Sox continue to play well despite the news of the Luis Robert injury. White Sox start this week in sole possession of first place, a full game ahead of the Indians. Let's take a look at how we got there with the series summaries. Yeah, so I will start off here with the red series. The So we had the series in Cincinnati. Uh, just kind of some lineup things. Magical got moved from ninth into second, which a lot of people I know have been clamoring for. Uh, again, this was that first game without Luis, so manipulating the the order of things was was necessary to try to try to get a spark and and switch some things around. One notable thing, though, was Dylan Cease seeing his first career at bat, getting his first career hit, and um, now we know that if we need to, we can throw him in center field and replace him in the lineup with Dylan Cease. So we're good. We don't need him. Uh, Madrigal struck out for just the fourth time this season. So that usually not a new, a, a noteworthy or a newsworthy thing, but for him, it's becoming more and more newsworthy. Um, do we have the next Shohei Otani in Dylan Cease? Is that, that's something that we can, we can question. Is he three for three? He didn't, oh, yes. he didn't have, he, he didn't make any outs. No, he was so, three for three. By definition, he is he is. I mean, old school batting average guys would say he's better than Shohei. So here we come. Maybe we should contemplate just getting rid of the DH altogether. Yeah. Um, Screw trying to bring it to fourth, the NL. Yeah, there you go. That's that's the way the league is is trending, right? Um, that game goes on in the fourth inning. Uh, we we can see kind of how. Switching from strikeouts and pop-outs and non-productive outs and getting into more of a mentality of we're going to have to grind it out and get some get some sack flies, bunt guys over, have productive outs. is going to help this team win. That, that kind of reared its head. So Sox win with a huge 9-0 victory. Um, and that really, that really beefs up the the run differential as we start to go through the week. So second game, uh, Sox are tied then for the, for, for first place in the AS, AL central. It, it's a real, it's a real, uh, boxing match of a game. I guess you could put it, except nobody was landing any punches for a whole lot uh, most of the, most of the match. So Sox don't get much through five. Keuchel actually ended up going a lot longer than, he has in most of the games, and Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray really spun it that day. That was, for me, as much as the Sox struggled, I I remember thinking while I'm watching that game, it, it really 
Sonny Gray doesn't scare you with a lot of his stuff anymore, but he really was locating. He really was being deceptive. He really must have been having everything come out of the same slot because he was fooling just about everybody in the Sox lineup. So offense stu- uh, stayed quiet through six. Uh, didn't get some of those productive outs, some of those moving guys over that, that they had in the day before, and sometimes that happens. Getting guys on base, like, I, I don't know exactly how many walks Grindall had in this game, but it's a safe bet he had a couple. That didn't do much good, though. Had to had to push guys around, and we just couldn't, couldn't figure out a way, a way to do it. Also noteworthy from this game was when Dallas did come out, Kopech came in, and he really showed kind of the first first instance of him not just dominating in his outings, I think. I know he's given up some hits and some runs when he had that three or four inning start a few weeks ago, and uh, it hasn't all been roses and sunshine for him, but this really, I thought, looked like his shakiest outing to date, uh, which is okay. I mean, it's some adversity going forward, and that's that's not a big deal. So he didn't give up a run, for all that being said. He got pulled in the bottom of the ninth for Hendricks, and really that is Larusa. I think, trying to say, hey, we got you for a reason. You're our guy. Come get us out. And he did. Took us to, took us to extra innings. Sox couldn't get one across before the end and then Hendricks actually starts the 10th at second we'll talk a little bit about that later yeah just a tiny bit about that uh he did make it to third on a um on Larry Garcia getting jammed up and and then a Grindall walk but we then have the issue of Hamilton hitting for himself in the 10th why not have a guy like Mendick hit there or Eaton, who was on an off day, but that's the kind of situational hitting. And and Collins was another one. If you're going lefty matchup there, Collins would have been a great guy to get in, right? Uh, just anybody other than a Hamilton hitter who is not revered for his hitting, who came off the injury, doesn't have a ton of reps. It's just a questionable thing that, again, we'll talk a little bit more about the you just can't have what happened. The one thing you couldn't have happen is take a free out there with Laori trying to steal second and getting caught stealing with a pitcher on first. Not the most athletic pitcher in the world either. I mean, Liam Hendricks, I'm sure he's a, I know he's a great athlete. He's an MLB player, but he is not. He is not the most, he's not Shohei Otani. He's not Dylan Cease running the bases, right? So, Laori getting caught stealing, there was no chance ever of Hendricks feigning going home on that throw to second. Just a questionable decision that I don't, I did, haven't heard an answer as to who made that call. Uh, I don't know if you have, but it's, it's just a, a puzzling decision. So, you go into the bottom of that inning. Uh, Barnhart runs on the single that leads off the 10th. Lamb being in left field, 
he's a he's an okay he's a serviceable left fielder but he's not going to throw anybody out uh consistently from there even if it's short uh that run comes across and and there you have it that was the way it shook out so the Sox lose one to zero it was a whole lot for nothing I guess I'll say watching that whole game it really felt like nine innings of just kind of watching paint dry <laughs> which with the with the two the two pitchers that were up and the way that they were throwing and then getting into the bullpens it it, it was it was still a fun game to watch but some offense was was left to be desired for sure and that leads us into the Royals series and what a series it was so the Royals we go to town uh, in Kansas City starting on May 7th we are 16 and 13 it is Carlos day we actually get to face our good friend Brad Keller and things are looking okay the Royals coming off a sweep or being swept I guess rather against the Indians and so we have them when they're down and now's the time to kick them right Brett Keller actually comes out and looks semi-decent. T.A. in the first matchup against Keller of the season does not get to bat flip. The Royals appeared to be hunting off-speed stuff, particularly change-ups against Los. And the offense came out, looked a little bit sluggish, especially coming off the Cincinnati game. This was a little bit concerning. And so Collins finds a way to break through with a solo home run. He walks later in the game. Yasmani, who? I'm not sure. The top of the order eventually starts to put together a couple of hits, adds some insurance runs, and Los pitches pretty well in that game. The White Sox end up winning 3 to nothing. Carlos goes six innings and has eight strikeouts, no walks. Again, Carlos with command of the strike zone. And so we get Cody Hoyer comes in, gets a hold. Aaron Bummer comes in. Bummer looks semi-decent again while he's out there, starting to put it together, it looks looks like. Hendricks makes it a little bit of an adventure when he comes out, but he gets the save. More and more, we're going to need him to close games like that too. Um, people are hammering on him about that $54 million we gave him. He's going to earn that money. With the way the White Sox have to win games this year, uh, he's going to get that money, and he's going to earn it. The Sox take sole possession of first place of the AL Central for whatever that's worth in the first week of May, and they come back the next day against the Royals again on the 8th, 17-13 and 13 at that point, and let's just say the Sox rolled out of bed and chose violence, and they scored eight runs in the first inning, they chase Daniel Lynch before his night even gets started. Our tear against left-handed pitching continues. Danny Mendick gets the start and right on this night. He gets a home run in his first at-bat. And as is prone to happen for some offenses, the Sox go quiet after that. You put up eight runs in the first inning, and you kind of used up all your bullets right away, and it's kind of a touch-and-go situation to survive the rest of the game at that point, right? Lance Lynn on the bump comes out, makes it through the fifth, doesn't get much further than that, struggled compared to his normal standards. 
I made the observation in either the fourth or the fifth that I felt like he was walking more guys than normal. Uh, shortly after I said that, James Fegan actually came out and tweeted that he had walked four guys all season up to that point, and then he had walked four guys that night. So my my intuition was right just watching. Uh, I didn't realize how exactly accurate that was. So um, for whatever that's worth, Grandal continues to walk at a ridiculous rate. And so you uh, you questioned how many walks he had in the one nothing loss to Cincinnati. He had three there. Then he does not play the first game against the Royals. Collins has that game. But then again, in this second game against Kansas City, he walks another four times. And so the man continues to do that thing we all love, or for some of you, you've grown to not love for some reason because getting on base is bad, apparently. But he continues to get on base. The Sox add a, another run just for good measure to kind of rub the Royals' nose in it in the ninth. Kopech comes in for Cease, or for Lynn, excuse me. Kopech comes in for Lynn in that game. And again, he, he just looks, I'm not sure if it's rusty, because he had the, the four-inning start. And then he took a good number of days off, and then he pitched in Cincinnati for a couple innings, looked kind of shaky, came out in this game. Again, just it, it looked either tired or just wasn't getting in regularly, so now he's a little bit rusty, but something just to keep an eye on. I think he's going to be fine, but just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, he's he's been a, a career starter through college, and up until this year, you wonder kind of the mentality of maybe switching into trying to get into gear of, oh, I'm starting sometimes, I'm a long reliever sometimes, and getting in and out of that mentality, maybe we're starting to see some of the difficulties of that at this point, you know. As he as he gets closer to finding a slot in the rotation, uh, maybe, maybe not, That that could be just a headspace thing that's tough for him or maybe it is a rusty thing but something like you said something to watch for right and there's something to be said for as a reliever your your arm has to recover at a much quicker pace than a starter does and so i think that that does affect him when you have go out there on five days rest go out there and five days rest okay now we need you out there on we gave him some extra rest but now he goes out there in Cincinnati. I think that's rust, but then he's got to come out two days later or three days later and pitch again. And so now he's off of routine because things have been – he went into a starter's routine. His arm doesn't get as much time to recover after going an extended amount of time. So d definitely something to keep an eye on. There are any number of possibilities, and it might just be that the league is starting to figure him out a little bit, and he just kind of has to learn to – pitch a little bit with it i do believe and i didn't take notes on it specifically i believe, do believe his velocity was down a little bit as well especially in kansas city which would be indicative of arm recovery so i think he's gonna be fine like i've said before i i think once we get to the all-star break we really run into a situation where i think he's gonna be chomping at the bit to go and we might have to evaluate what that kind of looks like. So 
The Sox win that game, walking away 9-1. to The Sox go 5-8 for eight with runners in scoring position. We actually are seeing this kind of pendulum swing where the Sox started the season awful with runners in scoring position, and now they're actually one of the best teams in the league. Now, that being said, when we were still hammering on them for being poor, they actually still were top half of the league at the very least, if not top quarter. So even though it looked bad, and rightfully so, we hammered on them a little bit, they're starting to make sure that they capitalize on opportunities, which when your 1-9 through lineup looks the way that this does, you're kind of going to have to. So the Sox come back for a chance at a series sweep on Mother's Day, May 9th. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there, or... As Danny Trevathan said, happy birthday to all the mothers out there. I don't know. <laughs> Did he say that really? Yeah, he tweeted it out. It was a good time. Oh, okay. Well, good for him. You know, on the I had stuff. I, I was at a I was at a party on Saturday and one of the waitresses that was picking up after our table said to us, You're all mothers. Just like all of you women are all fathers. And I thought it was kind of poetic, but also that she was kind of batshit crazy because I didn't yeah. understand it at all. Yeah, she no, was like, super was, fucking bizarre. Mother's Day is a, a weird one where, like, I, I mean, if you know that they're the, the person you're talking to is a mother, wish them a happy Mother's Day, all that, that's great. But you don't want to just assume that everybody's a mom, you know? There's a little bit of complication with that. So. This woman was just kind of in in passing was like, yeah, happy Mother's Day to all of you. And she turned to me and said, you too. And I was like, uh, what? What What are you talking about? You're all mothers. All of you. And the rest of you, you're all fathers, right? And we all just kind of nodded and were like, okay, yeah, sure. crazy lady. Anyways, that was weird. But yeah, happy birthday, moms. <laughs> moms. <laughs> and the Royals, for whatever reason, decided that Mother's Day was not a day they wanted to try and get a win on, so they threw Mike Miner out there, a left-handed pitcher, and guess what? More and more runs come across the plate at that point. <laughs> the Sox went, hmm, nine runs was kind of fun. Let's do it again, and they win that game 9-3. to three. That day is Giolito Day, and for every bit as much as everybody loves Giolito Day, it's starting to become a bit of an adventure with Giolito. And the things that I observed during that game, he looks like he's laboring. It, it does not look like he's pitching naturally right now. It looks like he is no. having to work. I'm trying to tell you, he's hurt. And he's he's trying to pitch through it. It's something minor enough he can pitch through it, but not so minor it's not affecting him. I'm, I, we're going to find out either at the break, at the end of the year, whenever. We're going to find out that he's been hurt this whole time. Guarantee it. So, hitter, the Royals continued to hunt the changeup. The thing that I said during that game is he is a guy that lives in the top half of the zone. And the trouble with that is if you are not blowing it past guys, you're going to get hurt up there. Um. The other thing is, is he has not been 
he has struggled to be efficient this year. Like, he's not a guy that's ever really gone terribly deep into games. Um, he'll do it every once in a while. He had his no-hitter last year, obviously. But he has been more inefficient this year, I feel like, than normal. I feel like this is 2019 Lucas Giolito, where he goes out and racks up strikeouts, but he doesn't make it through the fifth because he's throwing 112 pitches in the fifth inning. So, yeah, it has a lot to do with his strikeout count and how efficiently he can not just get through batters, but strike them out. And I've looked too terribly in depth at the numbers uh, and I won't belabor this point, but it's if he's not striking guys out at an efficient rate, he is his pitch counts start to rise and he does look labored because he's that that change historically a put away pitch for him. And when guys hunt it, it's. It's not going well. Right. So Abreu continues to rack up the RBI still. After that series, he was tied for seventh with a number of other guys with 27 RBIs. He actually tonight got another RBI on the home run, so now he is tied for fifth with a couple others at 28. So working on hunting down the league lead in RBIs, he's still... I, the part that is ridiculous is the league lead right now is 32 with J.D. Martinez. And that is a <laughs> ridiculous number. Jose Abreu was still on track for a ridiculous number of RBIs. So. He's going to need it. He's going to need it. We're, the Sox are going to need it with right. the injuries. It's going to be a necessity. And so the Sox do what they need to do. They come out and they take a team that's down, they kick them, and they put them in the rearview mirror, like I tweeted out on Sunday and some of Saturday. This is what the Sox needed to do. They needed to take the Royals and not only beat them, but put them that much further into third place. I didn't even stop at second because I went, I want to see them in third. <laughs> and so they did. And so the Royals' tailspin goes further, and the Sox are A, streaking, and B, look pretty darn good at this point. So, all of that being said, those are the series summaries, and the next thing to kind of take a look at is the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. I'll let uh, Matt lead off with, what's your good? What's yeah, good? Um, what is good, my literal brother? Uh, I I have the league-leading run differential as my good. My Alexa decided to jump in there. Matt Light? Who's Matt Light? What's Matt Light? Uh... Yeah, so that, that league-leading run differential, I think, is the goodest thing that I could come up with for this week. It it does show that the Sox are starting to produce with runners in scoring position. It shows that the starting rotation is really just continuing to be dominant. I mean, it's not it's not the only thing that matters in measuring a good team. But when you are when you're stacking teams next to each other to try to say this team is gooder than the other, 
looking at how many runs they score and how many runs they give up is usually a pretty good measure. Yeah, it uh, it's interesting because it it speaks to number one the the fact that their run differential indicates that they score a bunch of runs. And so when they are winning games, they're winning them generally by a pretty handily margin is what that run differential shows you. And B, it also shows those losses that we have, we don't have very many lopsided losses. Like, we don't have very many games where it's like, well, position player pitched this game because we're just kind of stuck. Like, outside of the Boston Giolito game, Mm -hmm. we don't really have any where it was like, well, throw the towel in on this game. So, yeah, I agree. I think the the run differential is really good because it indicates, number one, even though we've had two substantial injuries in two significant spots, uh, we're still continuing to put up runs in bunches, which is what this team is was hoped to do. I don't think that that's going to be relatively sustainable. I think we're going to see ourselves come back to the pack a little bit in differential. We might have a little bit of a ringer in the closing days of May, but it, it right now it really indicates the team is doing what it needs to do. They're pitching well, which is keeping opponents down, and they are blowing doors off of teams when they need to, like the Royals. Yeah, the so I have I have a question for you and a comment about that. The my comment first is when the Sox score, they score in bunches. Like that that um, Saturday night game where they put up eight against. I think he was a rookie pitcher. Yeah, Daniel Lynch. Welcome to the to the majors, young kid. Uh, I know you pitched against a freaking no-name team the first time around, but uh, right, this is the White Sox. Yeah, and this we is feast this, on left-handers. This is your welcome, welcome to the danger zone. We hate you because you're a royal, and we're and they they showed that they it was what was it eight runs in the first, and then we got one more run later in the game. Ended up being yeah, nine one. Is that right? Yep. So, Sox score in bunches when they score. Uh, lately, they've been kind of scratching a few here or there, which is a good sign that they can do both. But uh, being able to put up eight at a time is really going to do wonders for your run differential. My my question though is, and I don't have an answer, and I don't I don't expect you to. I'm just curious. How many? What do you think the average number of of games for each team have had a position player pitch in them? Do you think only do you think each team has on average only had one of those games this year? Or do you think the Sox are on the lower end of getting blown out and having a position player come in? I have not seen so I'm going to measure this in the most unofficial way that I can think of, which is cut four tweeting out position player pitching tweets. I have not seen as many of those this year so far as particularly as I did last year. Now I think last year people were quick to pull the hook on it 
and let position players pitch simply because they went, this is a sprint, we're just going to cut our losses on today, and we're going to try and keep everybody fresh for the next day. And we know that we have to keep everybody going because our rest days are far and few between. Um, I, I feel like the Sox only having to have pitched one are probably close to middle of the pack, I would say. Um, I haven't seen very many tweets out in terms of position player pitching. I feel like there are a couple of teams that have been prone to have to do it multiple times. But if we're talking how many teams have had to throw a position pitcher versus haven't, I would say the Sox are probably middle of the pack in that it's probably there's a handful that haven't had to, a handful that have had to do it maybe three or four times, and then most everybody else exists in that one, maybe two space. Yeah. I I can't imagine it would be too stark right now, especially this early in the season. I'm just curious, because I know the Cubs-Braves did it once because you had the whole, um, was it Rizzo striking out Freeman or the other yep. way around? That was a big thing on Twitter. Um I'm just curious kind of where they lined up because we've only had to do it once, like you said, that Boston game. And it's it's really a measure of if you don't have to – if you don't run yourself into a lot of situations where you have to kind of, for lack of a better term, phone it in and let <laughs> your main Mercedes with the tilted hat go out and sling it, you're, you're in a good spot. So hopefully Sox don't have to do that much more, if at all, this year. And I think some of it a little bit too is the taxi squad and a little bit more flexibility and sending guys up and down as they need to or can. So there there have been a couple of different games like that Royals game. I didn't tweet it out this time because I, I think people are willing to work through their bullpen a little bit more. But there was a game earlier this year that it I think it got set on the broadcast and I tweeted it out too to cut four and I said position player pitching alert be be ready because it's not looking good I think it was the (laughs) Mariners series and to their credit the Mariners put a couple of guys out there that just put it together the Sox went quiet and it didn't happen so I think there have been more games that could have been that weren't so yeah I, I think um that's a good place to get into your good. Yeah. With talking about pitching. Yeah, because I'm on the other side of the coin, right? The White yeah. Sox pitching. The White Sox pitching this year, they lead the league in ERA. After tonight, that might be a little bit switched, but I think they've led by a wide enough margin. Tonight's not gonna hurt that any. But the starters went five straight starts and allowed one earned run throughout all of that. And you know who gave up that earned run? Filthy Giolito. I was I was could not was I one. couldn't think of it. Yeah. And so the the level of pitching that we have gotten and the part that's crazy to me. The the bullpen struggled early and we have overcome that to lead the league in ERA. So that either A says something about the rest of the league in terms of ERA right now in this ball that's supposed to be a little bit deadened. And, or it says a lot 
about our pitching staff in terms of we've overcome and we've worked through it. Now, granted, a lot of the struggles, not a lot, but some of the struggles that the bullpen experienced early too were self-inflicted wounds by the defense. So uh, there was a little bit of, they gave up a lot of runs, but not a lot of them were earned as well. But the the pitching starting to come around. Uh, Lynn's coming off the injury, so he didn't make it quite as far in that start. But we get Dallas Keuchel finally goes through seven innings. We have Dylan Cease is putting it together. Carlos Rodon continues to dominate. Rodoninate, if you will. <laughs> and so... Oh, oh, I will. Oh, you will. The The pitching staff is carrying the torch at this point. The nice part is we're getting both of these things together, but that's also the dangerous part is you kind of want to have this balancing act where maybe your pitching staff isn't quite as strong, but your offense is knocking the ball all over the place and carrying them. And then if your offense goes quiet, you have the ability to lean on that pitching staff to really shut the opponent down so that if we're only scoring three or four runs, we're winning those games still. Right now, we're getting those things in unison, and that hopefully it doesn't, but could potentially spell trouble down the road because if they both go quiet at the same time, we're not going to have a good time. (laughs) But for right now, I'm... I'm having a great time. I think it's fantastic. But for every bit as good as the pitching staff has been, one of the tougher parts has been the bad, which it's really hard in the last week to find the bad. There is a bad in there, but I'm going to leave that as my ugly, actually. The mm-hmm. the bad for me our, as good as our pitching staff has been, we maybe got a little bit of help, you might say. The Angel Hernandez crew is rough. Like, the scorecards that came out for all three of those, Angel Hernandez was actually the best of the three. And it was just kind of an average game. The tweet that I saw from somebody, and if you're a listener and it was you that tweeted it, uh, good on you, please, please let us know on Twitter. It uh, was a very league average game, but we were propping it up as though it was a really, really well done game, and it's because of the dude that did it. So it it says something about your abilities when we're going, you did fantastic, but it was league average. So for me, the the Hernandez crew, um, it, it seems odd to me that they would stick all of those guys together. And they would go, you are the roughest of the bunch, and we're going to put you all together. Typically, you would try and hide those guys, right? Let's spread them across the other crews so that they can learn from people that are kind of better. So, that for yeah. me is my bad. You had a big butt in there. I, It's not really a butt. The biggest thing for me is, like, what's the measure of good, bad, because if we're watching and having an emotional reaction to some of these crews and I am no angel Hernandez, uh, defender by any means, I think his antics in trying to manipulate a game to be the center of attention have been historically 
rotten and i i'm just amazed that he's still around but i've i've seen some of the the graphics on twitter about the percentage of missed calls or correct calls and these guys that are on these crews and it's always flagged isn't it angel hernandez crew or angel hernandez behind the plate whenever they're posted they're still getting it right 92 93, 94% of the time. Now, I've seen some up in the 97, 98, 99 percentile. And those are the obviously exceptional outings from from crews or from umpires. And those are that's what we want to see. We want the right calls made. Um, I just I don't want to I don't want to start ragging on a guy for getting a 94% grade on on a game. I'm an academic, right? 94 is, 94 is a good grade in, in my life. I'll take it. It's it's one of those, it's a really hard job, and I don't like ragging on. I, I Because I umpired for 10 years, I don't like beating on um, umpires, but I am finding this year particularly hard to go, you're doing okay. The, and the other part of it too is, is there are there are some nuances to managing the game and keeping things under control that Angel's not fantastic at, but that's part of the reason that everybody wants to go get him out of here and replace him. Well, you kind of got to get the right people <laughs> to replace him. And there's a lot of reasons that those guys that get called up to do spot starts if you will for umpires they get the call-ups and then they get sent back down and they get that feedback in terms of some of them they never have a problem but that's something that they get graded on while they're in triple a or double a or wherever it is is they have to work on things like game management so it's not as simple as oh let's just go bring a guy up but the other thing too is (laughs) there's this weird dichotomy of He's protected by the umpires union, but the umpires union also <laughs> in the lawsuit came out and said, like, yeah, he's not real good at this. That's why he hasn't been. He, I guess maybe they didn't say he's not real good at this, but they said the reason you haven't been assigned World Series is because you're not World Series caliber. So good enough, good but not good enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah, imagine my surprise sitting here knowing your opinions about umpires and seeing that your your bad this week was a umpiring crew. That was quite the quite the little chuckle I had. It, it it's one of those I had to find a bad, and if I had to identify, <laughs> I am not I'm not opposed to a, I mean call an apple an apple or a, call a spade a spade. Um. I, I have worked with guys that I go, I do not know how you got hired. I have had those same guys in games that I've played in, and I've gone, oh, shoot, dang, we've got a problem today. We better work our butts off. So I'm, I'm not afraid to call it what it is, which is there are some guys that just, they're not great. Uh, they, need, they need work. So it, uh it's one of those I don't like to do it, but at the same time, when it's an obvious and glaring thing, you also can't ignore it. So, yeah. yeah I bet you were only... a little little surprised. <laughs> there's only so much that can go unsaid as far as 
ignoring the flaws maybe in some of some of the things that people do as far as umpiring. Right. I would agree. Um, yeah, my bad. Not even remotely related. Going back to, we, we had a, a lengthy discussion about Yo-Yo, about Makata last week. And uh, unfortunately, he, he, he seems to be cooling. Kind of cooling off before he really got the chance to even get, get going. Like I thought he was going to. So... Yeah, again, reaching a little for the bad here. A guy being in a oh for whatever slump is not necessarily doomsday, but you, when when you have injuries like we've had so far, needing needing some of these kind of keystone players to get going, like your Andersons and Abreus and Moncadas and so on and so forth. It's an it's an important factor to everything. So he, it, I, I'm looking at some stats here, and uh, just looking at the month of April compared to the month of May, which we're only a third of the way through May. But he doesn't he hasn't homered yet in May. We're a third of the way through, and he has not had a single home run. Granted, he only had three in April. Uh, his oh, this is I think this is the most indicative of it so far. So far in May. He has a 579 OPS. In April, he had a respectable 797 OPS. That I mean, that's a it's a significant drop off from from the improvements that we're seeing in the expected batting average, the on base percentage with the walks and the lowering the strikeouts, and seeing that OPS creep up, mm-hmm. getting some power in in some of those line drives and, and knocking a couple out of the park and now it just kind of seems gone. You, you you just can't you can't keep moving a guy around to try to at some point hitting second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever isn't the issue. It's not where you're at in the lineup. It's not your protection. It's just um something that you are doing that's not working so if the solution is oh he's not hitting move him to a different spot in the lineup i don't i don't think that that's i don't think that's the answer i don't think he would even tell you this that he's uncomfortable hitting the spot he's hitting he has the opportunities to drive guys in to get rbis to hit for power he's just still not swinging the bat he's still Watching pitches in the zone and striking out at, uh, I think he, he's got a, he's in the 23rd percentile for K percentage. He was kind of creeping up towards the 50% the league average. And now he's back down in the, the 23rd percentile, his outs above average, 17th percentile his whiff rate, 34th percentile, his hard hit percentage, which was in the, the, uh, I think it was close to the 80th percentile, not more than a couple weeks ago, down to the 55th percentile. So he's not he not squaring things up. His bar- his barrel percentage, 52%. Literally, he's not squaring things up. Uh, now, there's a couple that are weird, like his chase rate's really low, but I think that's indicative of him not just not swinging the bat. So he's not chasing things that he shouldn't because he's just not swinging at all. It's just, there's this... There's just something about him that is 
it's pissing me off right now. Because he's got all the talent in the world. And he's just not tapping into it. Right when it looks like he's going to, he just doesn't. So that's that's my bad for this week. I don't have much more to say about it. Uh, his past 100 plate appearances, his past 250 plate appearances, look like they're below league average, and they're trending down a little ways. Uh, which could be indicative of of bigger things, or it could just be a mini slump. So more more time. I still think we need some more data, kind of like we do with Grendel. Let's worry more about it in June, July than we are in April, May. But still frustrating, nonetheless. You know who it's not frustrating for? I don't want to hear about it. It It's me. If you go back and listen to the last episode, <laughs> plug, um, this is kind of what I anticipated. So I'm not... I'm not frustrated by it. I think we're getting out of him what we would expect. I think it's rough that he's in the four spot, and this is what we're getting out of him. So if this is what we know is going to be his production, like I tweeted out earlier, I think right now the reality is he's a five or six spot hitter. All all of the ball profile, all the batting profile that you just read off and the fact that it's slightly in decline tells me he needs to hit like in the sixth spot. And it's not, at some point, his his batting profile has to matter. So the fact that he's Mancata and he can hit piss missiles and whatever else, that's occasional. You kind of got to bat him where he should be, which is in kind of that sixth spot. He doesn't get on base enough to really, for me, anyway, warrant a two-hole, which we've seen the two-hole kind of be not really a get-on-base spot. So, I mean, if he's batting in the two, my only gripe then becomes, okay, he's got to start putting the ball somewhere. He's got he's either got to raise his on-base percentage or he's got to start hitting the ball somewhere. And his batting average has got to go up. So, one way or the other, but... The part for me that I kind of wonder, too, is he's a switch hitter. And I always wonder for switch hitters, like at some point when you're struggling like this, do you just pick a side of the plate? I thought about that, too. Yeah. Because he's had, for every one at-bat that he's had as a right-hander, he has had an at-bat four times as a left-hander. So he's one-to-four ratio. But he is batting almost 50 points higher, he's batting 40 points higher as a right-handed batter than he is as a left-handed batter. So, I mean, at some point, maybe you just pick a side for a little while before you start switching things around again and start switch hitting. Because, I mean, he's batting almost 300 from the right-handed box. At what point do you just go, okay, let me bat right-handed and see how this shakes out and see if I can start to get hot? And then once you're hot, you're seeing the ball. Now maybe you can start switch hitting and start knocking the ball all over the place from the strength or the pitcher's weakness one way or the other. So, yeah, for me, I'm not. The only thing I'll say is I'm not frustrated by it because I, I kind of figured that this was going to be the case. 
I was really hoping I that it wasn't. I really want to see him get hot because our offense good when he's mm, lukewarm at best really needs him to get hot at some point. Now, maybe that's okay that he's not hot at this moment because our offense is rolling and we don't have that. So maybe he just needs to be the guy to help carry it once other people start slowing down. That's not a terrible thing either. Okay. So if, listen, if go ahead. I just was going to start transitioning. You have another point though. Just one, one final thing I'm looking and I'm going to look at, I'm going to just scour these stats because I'm going to I'm going to prove you wrong and then Mikado's going to prove you wrong here. Do it. He, I hope so. This this kind of contradicts my point about his spot in the order. I'm looking at his base runner splits. So with the base is empty, he's a 637 OPS hitter so far. That's where he's had his most plate appearances. He has 11 plate appearances with a runner at second. Uh, actually, we'll just look at the the scoring position. With runners in scoring position, he is at 36 plate appearances, which is about half of the ones he has with the bases empty. He has 13 hits, an OPS of 1.217, an on-base percentage of 528. His slugging is 690. His average is 448. That's pretty good with runners in scoring position. That's really good, actually. Two of his home runs have come with runners in scoring position, so he's not hitting solo shots. That in itself is should tell you, and it tells me, get him in a spot where there's somebody on base. Keep him, what's he hitting, third right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't don't stick him in the in the sixth spot where he doesn't have the opportunity to produce here because he's with the bases empty he's not producing. And again, some of this might be non might be a non factor when you're actually hashing it out. Like he's got a two point five zero zero OPS with runners at second and third. Well, he's only had two plate appearances and he got. He has three RBIs. So that's, I mean, I, I think he, yeah, he hit, home, hit a home run there. That's coincidental. But he's got 36 play appearances, a 1.217 with runners in scoring position. He, he likes to get guys home. So you put him in, the, in a place in the order where he doesn't, doesn't have that, maybe he does. Maybe, maybe he is a guy that needs some of that pressure. I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to figure these stats out. I'm going to figure this man out if it's the last thing I do. The the men in scoring and the men on base at bats I think are he's batting higher because pitchers have to come to him more. And I think he knows that. So he's good with situational hitting. I and that's one of the things that Tim Anderson's really good at too, right? He's super aggressive in the zone when there's runners on base in front of him. Pitchers kind of have to come to him a little bit. And so he kind of knows that, and he goes hunting. I, I think that that's the way Yuan is a little bit as well. So uh, I think that that's – he's good in situations that the pitchers have to come to him, which for the most part 
hitters should be if they're hitterish. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to dive too deep each week right. into his stats because there's so many of them. But I just think there's there's a lot of interesting things. I, I just pulled up Tim Anderson's savant profile, and his savant profile looks terrible. I didn't realize he was struggling so much. He's batting. Yeah. He's got a exit velocity 19%, expected weighted on base average 18th percentile, barrel percentage 39th percentile, whiff rate the 14th percentile, K rate 16th percentile, walk rate 8th percentile. Am I reading these backwards? Does that mean he, so if his walk rate is the, in the 8th percentile, it means he doesn't walk very much. Which is exactly the thing that that's the book on him. He never walks. Yeah. But is it, I don't think he strikes out all that much. He has struck out more this year. Pitchers have been throwing him away. And so he has waved at a lot of pitches that are probably off the plate a little bit. And then he's had a couple umpires go reach for those pitches too on him a couple of times. Yeah. Um, none of, I shouldn't say none. There are one, two, three, four, seven, ten. 12, 12 percentile rankings that Savant has, three of them are above the 50th percentile for Tim right now. One of them, one of those is sprint speed, which you doesn't really waver a whole lot unless there's an injury. Right. So I think that's, that that's stark for me. Not relevant to my point, but stark. Right. Um, so let's jump into my ugly before I get off on another tangent here. Okay. My, my ugly is still the outfield daily lineups. Uh, not and, and it's ugly just because going into this year, I never thought I would have to sit through a layer Garcia everyday center field. Um, I'm longing for the days when we'll have angle back and when Luis is back and Aloy is back, and we can get Eaton back on track or find a new right fielder or whatever happens there. I just, I don't know that the plan, the long-term plan is or should be Vaughn in left field. I know the long-term plan is not Lowry in center. Right field is just an absolute shit show, and we knew that. I mean, that was the one known, that was the the known unknown coming into the season. So, eh, ugly and maybe not anything that can be changed just because of circumstance. The, the daily outfield lineups are still just hard to stomach for me. And, like you said, until there's a change, which I don't foresee coming before the All-Star break, um... They're going to continue to be an adventure unless we stumble into something. We did uh, make a signing, and I would have to look it up. I believe uh, Griffin. Um, So we might see maybe a little bit of improvement there in center field. We may not necessarily have to play Liuri every day. From what I understand of him, he is kind of just a league average outfielder as it were but Leary for every good every bit as good as he is defensively offensively he is still scuffling mightily and so 
I think getting a a league average batter, as it were, for the Chicago White Sox to play in center field is probably still good. Is probably still better. Mm-hmm. And so, Brian 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 Goodwin, by the way, Goodwin. There we go. See, I was yep. in the neighborhood. He's got some interesting. I mean, if we're basing things on his 2020 stats, he's got some interesting statistics as well. He's he's a high strikeout guy, which this team doesn't need another one of them. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. I I hope he can come in and be a serviceable center field. And I think that'll help stabilize that a little bit. So definitely. Yep. All right. What's your ugly? Oh boy. Well, buckle in folks. <laughs> It's been hashed and rehashed. I'm not going to go through the incredible gambit of all the information because, again, we're getting to it about a week later. But the the last two innings of the second game in Cincy. And it's it just it makes me frustrated. Most of what TLR has done up to this point has not frustrated me. I can look at it and go, okay, I'm going to trust that whatever the hell's going on, he knows something. And he's he's got something going on. We're not in the dugout. We can't see the charts, the, the sheets, all that. But you get to the top of the 10th. And so let's back up a step and let's go to the ninth you get in the ninth or out of the ninth you get Hendricks comes in it probably came in a little bit later than you'd like to see Kopech gets in a little bit of a pinch with some bases loaded two outs Hendricks manages to get his way out of that which then sets up because Hendricks was part of the double switch sets up a situation where he has to be the runner to start the 10th Except for, turns out, he didn't. And so the White Sox had the opportunity to put Jose Abreu, the spot in front of the pitcher because of the National League caveat to the rules, on second base. They didn't. They let Hendricks run. The the situation that occurred is TLR went, didn't know the rule. After James Fegan read it to him, and it came out later that perhaps bench coaches came to him and said, hey, you have Liam out there and going to second. And TLR said, well, yeah, I know, he's he's the guy. So perhaps they weren't forceful enough in going, no, he doesn't have to be the guy, though. And it's hard because, again, you don't want to sit there and go, hey, boss, you're being a dumbass, but in that moment he's being a dumbass. So right. you kind of got to... You kind of got to direct him a little bit. And he was out of the game for 10 years. This rule was introduced last year and carried forward. It's somebody's job to know the rules. And then you get Yasmani walks. Liuri grounds into the fielder's choice. So now you have first and third with Liuri on first and Hendricks on third. And you get Liuri trying to steal second. Now... LaRusa came out and talked about the circumstances surrounding that. He said, yeah, no, we sent him. We wanted to be aggressive. The infield was in. 
did not figure they were going to try and risk throwing the ball through the infield and to the outfield anyway. So we thought, well, we'll take second base, put ourselves in a position of a a single maybe scores two with as fast as Leori is. They also came. They Larusa also came out and said we weren't going to do anything risky with Hendricks anyway. So it was going to take a base hit. So if it was going to take a base hit, you may as well try and score two. That being said, as fast as Leori is, he got caught stealing by a mile. He got caught stealing by a mile because everybody and their dog could have predicted that he was probably going to try and go. Yeah. So, and he was going on gold glove caliber catcher Tucker Barnhart. So you have a couple of negative factors there. We may never know. We The only thing we can do is take LaRusso's word on, we sent him. But my instinct right. at that moment was there was no reason to send him there. So he probably went on his own. We'll never yeah, know anything just, other than LaRusso said he sent him. You think they're just covering for him? You think and, LaRusso's trying to cover for him? LaRusso is old school enough. He's going to shield his guys. Yeah. He probably... He would have reamed him if he went on his own, but that would have been behind closed doors. LaRusa is old school enough that he would have took him into the office, beat him with a bag of oranges, and said, (laughs) don't ever do that again, and then went out in public and said, yep, we sent him, was us, it didn't work out, so be it. And then then we all get mad because he's hobbling the next day on the base path. Well, I mean, shouldn't have tried to steal that base then, huh? Don't get beat by a bag of oranges. Yeah. By don't your own do stuff that Don't do stuff that requires you to be bait, beat with a bag of soap. <laughs> basically right. is what we're saying. Um So, the the double switch was in part because the pitcher spot had just or excuse me, not the pitcher spot. The pitcher spot was a potential to come up. And so the double switch then put into position that Lamb could have potentially batted had it made it down to the nine spot. It didn't make it that far, obviously. Lamb never got the chance to bat. And so there's a case there of, I think the double switch was the right call. The part that made it not correct or made it poor was the fact that we didn't know the rule straight up if we had known the rule and we had put jose out there i think that's the right call so i have no qualms with that i is there a defensive positioning problem with lamb and left where he doesn't really know what he's doing barnhart was the one running on that initial single he at no point did he really think he was going to have to go back to second because he was shuffling towards third almost the entire time just going unless there's some miracle I'm not going back and he played it almost perfectly the only way that he could have played it any more perfectly is if he had literally just taken off he could have ended the game on that hit if he would have gone there's absolutely no shot that Lamb catches this but that's a situation where you know, right, who your defensive fielder is in that case. You know 
who the person in left is. So the the fact that you have Lamb there and you have Barnhart, who's not a dumb runner, he knows, number one, that Lamb's not getting to that ball. So it, it's a situation where maybe you bring Lamb in a little bit. You have that guy on second. You know that he's the winning run. I, I can't believe that you're playing no doubles. I feel like that ball was hit in a spot that if they had played Lamb in a little bit, knowing that if the ball gets hit over him, the game's over anyway, maybe he can make that catch and keep Barnhart at second instead of basically giving him free base to third. Um, I think there are some qualms there to be had with that as well. So my ugly, the the 10th inning effectively, a little bit of the ninth, but mostly the 10th inning of that second Cincinnati game. Uh, that's about as much rehash as I can really go through on it. Yeah, it doesn't need to be rehashed, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, no, I'm just going to say that you're, uh, the, you're the manager of a Major League Baseball club, and you have a staff full of people that should know the rules up, down, side to side, backwards, forwards, everything in between. Uh, even if you don't, because you, for whatever reason, don't think it's totally necessary to know all the rules, which that that's that's frustrating in the first place. Uh, somebody on your staff should know how to how to use every bit of the extra inning rules, which are already funky in themselves, to your advantage. So, um, let's hope there are no other rule snafus that we run into and that they learned from this one because we've Dude. already run in it, twice we've run into twice already this year larusa either not knowing or deciding against using that challenge because he just didn't think he needed to early in the season it might have been game one it may have been game one i can't remember exactly when when he had that seventh inning challenge and then he decided not to use it, but the, you lose your challenges anyways for the eighth and ninth because it goes automatically to review. And now this, what else is going to come up that he just doesn't know about because he's been out of the league for so long. See, I, uh, there sure as heck better not be any more rule issues that come up. The, th the point that I made that it, it, deserves to be said again I think is that as an umpire as somebody who has taken a lot of time to study the rules of baseball the rules of baseball are intensely complicated like I feel like they are more complicated than any other of the major American sports in that they have so many sub rules and then there are different conditions under those sub-rules. So knowing that book inside and out, even after they tried to simplify it, knowing that book inside and out is intensely difficult. And so for somebody who... Larus is a historically smart guy. There's, there's not a situation where he couldn't just know all the rules because he's that intelligent to my understanding i've never met him this is just my 
learnings of people's impressions of him. But he has how many other things that he's trying to manage at that point. If I'm the manager of a Major League Baseball club, I'm my hands are trying to go in all the different directions. So I, even if I know all the rules, I may not necessarily be thinking about that at that point. But to your point, there needs to be, my thought has always been, there needs to be on any staff, it doesn't matter what the sport is, there should always be one guy that they pay money and that dude's only job is to know the rule book inside and out. To know every rule, understand every application of said rule, and then identify situations like this where it is. How do we manipulate this such that it is in our favor? I'll do it. I'll do it. (laughs) I'll be the guy. (laughs) Pay me money to work for, for the Sox. I'll do it. The comparison that I made is... Bill Belichick and the delay a game rule subset and yeah. then Mike Vrabel, Mike Vrabel then turning it against Bill Belichick actually doing the same thing yeah it is it's an incredibly smart way to think about the game but my question then becomes do you think Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick did that on their own or do you think they had somebody on the staff come to them and go hey if we get into this situation the rules actually enable us to do this, and that's actually better for us. I would argue there was probably somebody on the staff that brought it to them. They look like the geniuses because they recognized it and they applied it, and they're the dudes wearing the headset. But I would imagine that it's probably somebody on their staff that they go, know the rules, tell me what we can do, that told them, hey, do this in this situation, the numbers stack up in our favor. That's my uh, it is, that's my guess. I I know for a fact that they have one of those guys, and I believe he actually just retired for the Patriots. Um, it, I, I'm looking it up right now. It looks like Dante Scarnecchia. Uh, I don't know if it was him or if it was somebody. I know he just retired, but if there might have been somebody else that uh, I saw on Twitter that was mentioned for being kind of that guy, that guy that had been through five decades of football and kind of seen how every rule change had occurred and all the applications. And I mean, it's the old forgotten more than you could ever know about football. And he saw it all and was able to apply it all. So, uh, La Russa having been around for, long enough might fit that bill to kind of have had the experience of seeing everything except for the new stuff that he hasn't seen yet. So, but yeah, I know I, I totally agree that there should be that guy. There should be a rules expert. There should be a Mike Petrillo sitting in your dugout knowing all the rules, a former, a former umpire that has the rule book a little pocket rule book that they can reference when they need to. I'll, like I said, I'll do it. Pay me the money. I will do it. So you don't, have, you don't even have to pay me that much money. Right. Honestly, you don't even, you don't like a decent amount, but like not so much money. Cause that would be a dream job. 
enough money to say like I'm working for a major league team, so I'm getting paid like it, but not enough that it's like, what do we even pay this guy for? Like he doesn't, <laughs> he comes up like twice a year. Yeah. That's my ugly, and that's it. it it's a glaring ugly amongst a whole bunch of really good White Sox baseball that's being played at this time. Yeah, winning winning in spite of some of these things. Right? Is that what that's the saying I'm looking for? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. that's the saying. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was in spite of or des- despite. <laughs> winning in spite of. There, okay. Yeah. So, closing thoughts for the week. Do you have any standout closing thoughts? Not really. Um, I, to be honest, I was not able to watch as much baseball as I would have loved to this last week. So my thoughts are what I've tried to decipher from the little I have watched and what Twitter is. Most of Sox Twitter is just fighting each other right now, so I've been steering clear of that. But uh, I don't have a ton of thoughts. I I'm just really excited to see this team shift into kind of a different gear of winning, winning games in a different way other than just mashing the baseball and hitting home runs and and scoring everything off of one of those three true outcomes, you know, Um, winning off of a, a kind of climbing on the back of a starting rotation. Like we have been, it's, it's just a, it's a fun thing to see your team do something different and have success than what you would have expected at the beginning of the year. That's kind of, that's where I'm at right now. Uh, I, I can't wait to not have, Oh, here's my, here's my thought. I hate weeks with two off days. Mic drop. I, that's I think we all do. God, I'm so bored. I I don't disagree with that sentiment, that's for sure. That's why I feel like I didn't watch much baseball. That and I didn't watch all that much baseball, but also two off days. Two off days breaks the action up a little bit too much for my taste, but you also got to get the guys off their feet every once in a while, too. Yeah, it's good for them. I suppose so, I can be okay with that. What about you? What do you think? My closing thought. I'm glad you asked. My closing thought right now is Geo. Uh, what I initially wrote down was Geo needs to develop his third pitch. And I think through what I researched, it's not so much that he needs to develop his third pitch so much as he needs to start becoming a little bit more fastball heavy again. So I he get he's getting punished right now because he lives up in the zone, and realistically, he kind of is throwing two different options. It's either fast or it's not. And I think that that's playing into his his problems right now. He is change-up heavy to the tune of being his primary pitch as opposed to his secondary pitch that he uses for put putaways. So Dylan Cease... In lar- is seeing large progress 
and just his pitcher profile this year. And he is a guy that his changeup usage is actually down from last year. So he's at 7.6% for this year, down. He was at 12.6 last year. So that's a pretty significant drop, all things considered. Carlos Rodon is down, Carlos Rodon is down <laughs> slightly from last year. He's at still at 16.8%, but he was at almost 19% last year. He's still higher than his career averages with his changeup, but he's commanding the zone much better. And he's not a guy that's living up in the zone either. And I think that, and he's also a guy that has three ish, four different pitches in his mix. Uh, they have him granted for uh, some curveball percentages, but I think that may actually be mischaracterized pitches by StatCast. So realistically, he's kind of a three ball pitcher, but he's spreading those out and he lives low. Lucas is up in his changeup usage. So number one, it's being hunted. And then number two, he is feeding them more of the pitches that are being hunted. Last year, he pitched 33.7% changeups. He's at 34.9, almost 35%. So over one-third of the pitches that he's throwing right now are changeups. And he doesn't really throw low changeups. These are high change-ups, boys and girls. So I think that that is playing a large part in him getting dinged around. His slider usage is actually up, but that then leads into his change-up usage is up, his slider usage is up, which means, in facto, his fastball usage is now down. And there are some guys who have really good sliders that have really good curveballs. And they are moving, the game is moving a little bit more towards you can be overpowering, but for some guys who are not overpowering, your biggest strength is that you can move the ball around reliably. Gio doesn't, Giolito doesn't really have a pitch that his changeups sink. They have dive to them. They have bite. But in order for your changeup to really be effective, you have to feed that off of the fastball. And so I have to believe that this, between Codify and between Cats, this is something that I think we will see start to trend back in the right direction. But if you are right and there is an injury problem, that might explain why we're seeing less fastballs and he's trying to live off of off-speed stuff. And the slider usage being up a little bit does indicate that he's probably okay putting a little bit more stress on his arm. The change-up usage to me would indicate, okay, I kind of have to lift soft stuff away and not put as much stress on my arm. It's, it's interesting because people keep saying, oh, his velocity's down, his velocity's down. He's averaging 93.4 miles an hour right now, and his career average is 93.3. He was somewhere in the neighborhood of 94 last year. So he's down a little bit compared to last year, but realistically, he's where he has been. This is the pitcher that Lucas is. 
again, based on career numbers. So kind of like the Yohan thing, last year, I hope, is not an anomaly. He looked really good last year. I could I could definitely see him being that guy, but he something has to change, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's more fastballs. I don't know if it's that he's hurt. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something that has to adjust. And right now, we haven't really seen much adjustment in terms of pitch mix. We haven't seen, apart from leaning leaning harder into change-ups, at which point those are getting hurt right now. So we kind of got to back off of that, I would imagine. be interesting to see his next couple of starts what his change-up usage actually ends up being. So that's my closing thought is, I don't know if he's pitching more change-ups because that's something he and Katz have come up with. He and Codify, the three together. But it it doesn't look good right now, and I'm not sure how they fix it. I'm not sure exactly what the problem is. That's my closing thought. Lots of year left. I'm sure it'll normalize. We'll get there. Yeah, for for that, he is he's been very forthright about his comfortability throwing his change up and it at times has even said he feels as comfortable, if not more comfortable throwing that change up than his fastball. So it could just be as simple as a falling into your comfort zone and guys are keying in on that and needing to kind of pull yourself back and say, okay, just, just because I can doesn't mean I should. Right. So with that being said, we head into now this week we have the series with the twins that kicked off tonight we'll cover that in next week's episode we have a three game set there and then we actually have the royals come to town again after that and we actually get a twin bill on friday with the royals and then we actually get to finish the weekend with them so we're actually going to see the royals a bit again this coming weekend and for a team that's streaking like the socks are that's that's actually pretty favorable for us. And so taking a look here, I just want to see who the whoop, if I can get clicked into the right spot, the probable pitchers coming up. So we have May 12th, which is going to be the Wednesday game against the Twins. Like you noted, we got to wait all the way until 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Dallas Keuchel versus Jay Happ. So we get to see another Keigel Knight. He is one and one with a three seven nine ERA. Jay Haps two and zero with a one nine one ERA. Uh, we might see a little bit lower scoring game tomorrow, just knowing Dallas Keigel's profile, and it looks like Jay Haps pitching very well. So I would expect tomorrow's game to be a little bit lower scoring. Then we go to Thursday, May fourteenth. We see the Twins one more time. Michael Pineda versus Carlos Rodon. Rodon obviously 5-0 with a .58 ERA. Pineda's 2-1, 2-4-3 ERA. His strikeout numbers are pretty high. So expect to see a, a I would say, probably middle-of-the-road scoring game at that point. And then we get to Friday, May 14th. The... Double header on Friday, 
Both the Sox and the Royals for that first game are at this point to be determined. There is some pretty good speculation out there, particularly based on something that Tony said last week or during the weekend that Michael Kopech's a pretty good candidate to be a pitcher in one of those games. And then the nightcap again is still to, to be determined at this point according to the probables. I would anticipate that that evening game is probably a Lance Lynn game or ends up being a Giolito game. We'll have to see. So, And then Saturday on the 15th, we get the Royals again. And if Friday's games were both to be determined, that means Saturday's are going to be to be determined. And then we get to round out the weekend on the 16th. We actually get one more against the Royals at that point. And then hopefully we've put a little bit of a distance between not only them and ourselves, but also the Twins and ourselves. And for goodness sakes, Cubs, if you could please help us and beat the Indians, that'd be great. The Cubs lost to the Indians tonight. Hopefully tomorrow they can come back and scratch one against them. And then we can get a little bit more distance between ourselves and the Indians. That would be fantastic. Yeah, the only time you won't hear Cubs slander on here is when they're playing AL Central teams. Yep, absolutely. So thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. If you listen to the podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and review, every little bit helps, even if it's constructive criticism of things we can do better. That's always appreciated. And now we get to the fun part of the show. I'm sneaking this little nugget in here, and we didn't talk about this beforehand. I'm going to do a giveaway. I have some shaker bottles, some some protein bottles, and so I want to give one away to one of you lucky listeners. In order to qualify for the giveaway, you need to listen to the entirety of this episode, which if you've made it this far, you have done. See, that was easy. Next... What is something in the show that you either agreed with heavily and or disagreed with? Maybe you have an opposing point of view. Maybe you think that we're complete dumbasses. I don't know. Let us know something on Twitter. Tweet at either one of us or both of us and let us know. You listen to the episode. This is a really good point. Maybe it's something that I said that Matthew disagreed with and I was completely right. Maybe it's something that Matthew said and you were like, that's completely wrong. Let us know on Twitter what's one thing that you you got from the episode that you thought was either really good or could use a little bit of work on our side. Once you've done that, we'll get a hold of you if you are the first one. I'm only giving one, away one this week, so if you are the first person to listen to this, tweet at us. We will get a hold of you, we will get your information, and we will get that. It is a black plastic shaker bottle with the white socks printed on the side of it. They're pretty nice. They actually work pretty well. I, I have a couple of them busted open that I actually use personally. So they uh, have the, the spring in it is not a ball. It's actually like inverse, and so it's on a rod. So they're super easy to clean. They work pretty well. I haven't had any troubles with them. So looking forward to giving one of those away. With that said, let's have a great week. Let's put some distance between ourselves and the AL Central foes. And thank you for listening.